0: Hello, I'm Lauren Reinhertz. And I'm Courtney Byrne, and welcome to Aspire to Ascend by Ascensource, where we are chatting openly with industry leaders from SAP, partners, and customers to understand how innovation within SAP is changing the game for businesses across the globe. Each episode features a variety of topics with our guests,
1: from their journey within the ecosystem, hearing their personal passion statements, and the lessons they've learned along the way. SAP, this is our world. We're just giving it a voice. Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by Juan Albello. Juan has over 25 years of sales and consulting experience in the software industry with companies like PeopleSoft, Oracle, SuccessFactors, SAP, SunGuard, and PeopleFluent. He is passionate for success in building high-performing teams. He has a lengthy and proven track record of accomplishments that has led to a phenomenal career growth in the highly competitive software industry. He is currently serving as head of sales and business development at Rising, a global SAP partner, and he resides in Miami with his family. Welcome, Juan.
2: Thank you, Lauren. I'm real glad to be here. Awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: We are we are happy to have you, Juan. Uh, and true, aspire to ascend fashion. I will start with asking you to ascend your resume.
2: All right. Well, thank you for that. Once again, thank you for the opportunity to be part of the podcast. Um, it's an honor, and I don't take it lightly. I appreciate everybody at Sunsource. You guys are fantastic and phenomenal. Um, I started my, my career you know, after getting a bachelor's in electrical engineering, a master's in industrial engineering, and an MBA, all from my alma mater, the University of Miami, um, thinking I was going to be an engineer. And um, uh, lo and behold, a small little company uh, in the Bay Area um, uh, gave me a call. Uh, and that small little company was called PeopleSoft um, at the time. And um, uh, little did I know that that was going to lead to a 25-year career or 25-year plus now. Let's, maybe we could get away with a plus. <laughs> and, but uh, over five years um, uh, of being um, uh, uh, in the software industry. Uh, you know, I was uh, eleven of those years were at PeopleSoft, um, a fantastic company to start my career with. Um, started in consulting and uh, grew all the way to vice president and general manager for what um, uh, eventually was the North Latin America region. Um, I ran um, the 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 sales and consulting practices um, uh, for Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela. Um, Costa Rica and based out of the Miami office for PeopleSoft. Um, So it was a fantastic um, growth. And then in 2004, uh, Oracle um, acquired PeopleSoft. I I stayed on board at Oracle. Um, uh, uh, Oracle added to my purview um, and my list of responsibilities, um, the country of Peru, um, as well as giving me public sector uh, for all of Latin America. So I was vice president, general manager um, for those two lines of business within the Oracle application sales team back then. So Oracle was divided between the database um, business and the application business. And I was responsible for the application business. Um, uh, then um, uh, another company um, gave me a call and that other company was called SAP. And uh, they offered me a role um, to return basically back home. I was, um, uh, my wife was pregnant. Um, uh, with our um, second daughter. And uh, they basically said, you know, we could um, get you um, into the Southeast region of the United States. So I took on a role as the vice president of mid market sales for Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi at SAP. Um, after that, we had um, essentially the 2007 um, uh, global economic crisis. Um, uh, and that led to SAP offering me a severance package. Um, uh, back to working hard and not letting anything get in your way as the theme of of the podcast, Um, I decided to um, uh, try out my entrepreneurial spirit and and I started my own company. Um, uh, That company, um, uh, ironically enough, um, uh, uh, we were resellers for Salesforce.com, NetSuite, and success factors um, uh, way before I even was employed by Success Factors, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, we did fairly well. Uh, one of the things that you all, um, that I noticed as an entrepreneur was that everybody gets paid except you. <laughs> so um, uh, it was one of the the challenges and humbling experiences of my career because up to that point it was all corporate America led. And um, uh, when you're, the, you're uh, the owner of your own business, um, it's a humbling experience. And it truly makes you appreciate the little things um, uh, in, uh, in leadership. Uh, anyway, that led to um, myself selling off the shares of uh, my company uh, to investors. And I started with SunGuard Higher Education. That got me into the higher education space. And, um, uh, and then, ironically enough, I get a call um, uh, from Phil Carty, with someone of you might know. He was the head of sales for Success Factors, and I got a call from um, Phil Carty to come join Success Factors before the SAP acquisition. And uh, Phil also, a few months later, said, "Hey, how do you feel about going back to SAP? <laughs> so, so needless to say, I'm a few months into my role at SuccessFactors where I essentially was the vice president um, and leader for the Latin America uh, business. Uh, you know, SAP acquired SuccessFactors and that would be my second tenure um, over at SAP. Uh, that led to fantastic um, uh, three consecutive winner circles um, at SAP, um, uh, uh, growing the team um, uh, tremendously, uh, and um, and then ultimately, um, I was um, tapped um, by Jen Morgan to come and run uh, Success Factors North America. From there, I went on and decided to um, uh, uh, be the, the head of global sales for um, a company called People Fluent out of the, out of Boston, and um, I went over to People Fluent. And finally, um, uh, the president of su- Success Factors at the time uh, at SAP um, uh, gave me an offer I could have refused to return back to SAP. And so I was at SAP till April of last year. And uh, now I'm currently the, the head of sales for rising a global SAP partner, like you had said it uh, in the intro, Lauren. So hopefully that gives you a good uh, rundown of approximately 25 years plus of experience um, and where I've been.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a great, great
0: background. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lauren. I, I also think it's funny how SAP has made sure to keep you uh, somehow tied, connected, or back in the family um, <laughs> over the, the course of your career. It's abundantly clear that you bring a tremendous amount of value one and thank you for sharing it with with the audience um before we jump into questions i think when i look at you know the the trajectory of your career up until this point you've had so many experiences that kind of fall in line with our theme of of hustle and grit and building teams and and being an influential leader when you look at you know all of the various positions what which one was most challenging to you
2: um, the most challenging roles are always, I, I would have to say, is when you're part of the smaller company. In other words, when I started my own company, um, uh, you, you, the reason it was the most challenging is because you end up in the proverbial um, cash flow roller coaster. And I think anybody that started their own business will understand that um, You know, it's like a big deal comes in. Um, and actually, it's not even the big deal comes in. It's when you get invoiced and paid. So whenever the payment comes through, um, you're able to pay yourself um, uh, you know, um, a salary and uh, because you wanted to make sure you had enough cash flow throughout um, uh, the year to pay your employees. So you had to meet payroll. That, that was a non-starter for me. It was everybody had to get paid. If anybody was gonna sacrifice, it was gonna be me. Um, you and I Courtney have had this conversation that I think we have to flip that. And, um, uh, and as an entrepreneur, we, we do have to think about the profitability and the margins in order to pay yourself. Um, because if not, then why do we do what we do? Um, uh, but I, I think that was difficult because I didn't go into um, uh, running my own business uh, like, your, uh, like a typical startup. I almost went into it like uh, we did at PeopleSoft and at Oracle and at SAP. And um, uh, let's grow sales, sales, sales. And It was all about top line revenue. And very quickly, you're humbled into the reality that, oh, if I'm going to get paid, it's going to be because um, I get one of these invoices paid. Uh, And that to me uh, was probably the toughest part was looking at my wife and my kids in the eye and, and having to cut things back from what we were used to. Because um, uh, money was just not flowing, or the cash flow wasn't flowing, so it was like it, it was great because it was like, okay, we got paid. All right, we can go to Disney World. <laughs> oh, we can't get paid. We got to cut, you know, on the the restaurant visit. So it was you're in that roller coaster throughout the, the time as you're growing the business. But uh, needless to say, um, it was still, uh, in my opinion, a fantastic experience, albeit a tough one
0: yeah you know Juan, we can uh we can relate uh obviously as we started Ascensor, we've we've listened and learned a lot of very valuable lessons and and had some great mentors like yourself um as we have grown and and i think i shared this with you one thing that we were told you know from somebody we we care deeply about and respect deeply was hey courtney this is going to be tough at times right and you're going to come against challenges and, and people, challenges, financial challenges. And the one piece of advice that I can give you is, you know, make sure that your family doesn't suffer at the expense of you fulfilling this dream and make sure you pay yourself and, you know, take care of your family. And, and it's a lot easier said than done. Right. I mean, uh, at at some, in some respects, this Ascensource team is my family. And we are very, very fortunate here at Ascensource to have had the growth um, that we have experienced over the past couple of years, but it hasn't come without having some real tough conversations between Lauren and myself. And, um, you know, cash flow is a thing, but I think if you go back to your core values of what makes a successful business, run long-term, it's more, you know, profitability and capacity and utilization. And I know you and I have had this conversation several times, but I think it's interesting that you share, you know, that being part of your challenges coming from that corporate, you know, uh, culture to now running your own business and and how that transferred to how you wanted to start or jump in, uh, in, you know, right off the right out the gate and, and and hire people and do things that you know you typically could do stepping into a, a much more corporate structured culture when running your business it is very very different so I appreciate you sharing kind of that experience with us and and trust me we uh we can empathize and certainly it brings it mm-hmm. back to the hustle that is required when um having that entrepreneurial spirit and and building something you believe in
2: yeah, I mean, I tell everybody that when you when you own your own business, you don't realize it because you think you're just going to be um, with a title of CEO, and don't realize that when you're the CEO of your own business, you're the head of sales, you're the head of um, uh, HR, you're you're the payroll person, you're the fine CFO, you're 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 wearing multiple hats, and um, uh, and so mm-hmm. my hats out to all those entrepreneurs out there because it is very tough but very gratifying, very fulfilling
1: yeah you're you're speaking my language, um, and I think a lot of you know partners in this ecosystem and folks that we work with can definitely relate to that that talk track and that roller coaster um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why we enjoy working with you so much is that you do have that entrepreneurial spirit, but yet you bring that um, to to companies like s a p and rising so um, before we kind of move on, I'd be curious to hear from you, how you feel kind of that experience of running your own company um, has shaped your approach when you did go back to more of a larger organization like SAP and Rising. What did that experience teach you that you are applying in your your leadership and your teams today?
2: Right. Well, um, I've always felt that you need to look at the glass um, half full um, all the time. You know, optimism is key in anything you do in life. And then I, I I look back upon my career and whether it was a good experience or a bad experience really turns out to be irrelevant because it's an experience nonetheless. And all of those experiences, the sum of them, the, the good and the bad are what has shaped me to be who I am today. And um, I think they all apply um, to the leader of the future or the workforce of the future or anything that you're applying for your, your organization, um, all these valuable skills that you've obtained, whether it was as an entrepreneur or in another corporate environment, you bring those to the table. And, uh, I don't think it's any secret that my current role, the fact that I worked at SAP and that experience in the network that I had at SAP is actually a very important and key element of my rising um, uh, career here. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, one of the one of the elements from my entrepreneurial um, days that I always like to highlight was before being a partner to Salesforce, to SuccessFactors, and to NetSuite, I used to be on the other side. I was PeopleSoft and managing channels. Um, I was Oracle managing channels. I was SAP managing channels. So I was on the other side of the corner. Up to that point in time, I I wasn't a partner. Um, I was the vendor in in every one of these cases. And I remember treating each one of my partners exactly as if they were another sales rep. Give me your forecast. Give me um, more deals. Give me more opportunities. That's why you're a partner for PeopleSoft, for Oracle, and for SAP. And I learned very quickly when you're on the other side of that coin, be careful what you wish for, that it's not about that. It really is of these vendors supporting their partner ecosystem. And I use the word all the time, priming the pump. If you prime the pump with the partners, those partners grow and they pay off dividends. But by themselves, they're just starting up. They can't do it without the support of the vendor. And uh, that's one thing that i brought to the table post my entrepreneurial experience was that now the way that I treat partners today is very different than the way I had treated partners in the past it really is more about a true partnership today as opposed to it's a it's a privilege that you are my partner so i need your your sales and that's not the way to run a partnership i wouldn't run a par- you know my relationship with my wife that way why would you do that in a relationship in the professional environment so um, I think that's, that's one of the things that I took and it and resonated with me is the way that I treat a partner because of my experience as a partner um, uh, today is very different than in the past. Is that Yeah. <laughs>
0: and you know what? It does want, I mean, partnership is so incredibly important. I always jokingly say, you know, uh, a partnership needs to be equally beneficial or equally shitty for both sides. Of, of the partnership, right? And that, that's a real partnership. And, and I think that that translates into you know, your, the personal side as well as the professional side of, of every interaction that, that we have. And we definitely see how you partner. I think you know, the partner's challenge uh, that they face is not having a leader who has that experience, right? So how do we deliver for our customer, bring value to our vendor, have that be seen and heard and become repeatable and, and kind of prime that pump as you, as you have mentioned, but, but in a different way of delivering true value and being a good partner. And you do that really well. You do it with the source for sure. Um, but I, I think you will bring a, a definite fresh perspective to uh, your new organization and, and Rising's already unbelievably great at what they do. Uh, but but building that partnership will will take them to the next level and i'm sure SAP is, is very excited about it as well uh, along with your customers um, you know the theme this year is is hustle and and grit and and i have to ask what does what does that hus- what does hustle mean for for juan
2: great question i'm, uh, uh, I'm probably going to answer it by Taking a, um, a step back in, in history, um, uh, because for me, um, uh, hustle is foundational, um, foundational uh, in the person's spirit and in the person's attitude. Um, and I have to admit the, you know the hustle that's in me, which is should not be misconstrued with negative hustle. Um, of hustling at poker or, or a billiards game. Um, uh, but the hustle of, of putting it all on the line and having that internal fortitude that nothing's going to get in my way. I, I've said already that the glass is half full, in my opinion. I think that's part of hustle as well, um, is when you look at life um, optimistically, no matter you know what better year than this one, to try to look at it um, because we could all sit here and say, woe is me. But the hustle comes from within you it's foundational and, and, and I really want to attribute that um, uh, to a, a, really a superhero in my life, which is my mother. My mother, um, uh, my mother um, uh, you know, um, you know I, I have to admit to all the, the, the viewers out there, I'm a proud mama's boy. So, <laughs> but, um, and why do I say that? Then I, because I, I have this conversation with our teams usually around execution, um, that hustle leads to execution. Hard work pays off, you know, these types of things. Well, um, a little bit about history. Um, back in uh, in the late 60s and um, uh, early 70s, uh, my mom, when she was 15 years old, saw her father, my grandfather, um, be put in a Cuban prison. Um, the only Uh, thing against him at the time you know uh, the allegations against him were that he was not he was a contra-revolutionary okay now to put things in perspective he was tagged as a contra- revolutionary because the government came in a communist government at that came in and decided that my grandfather's businesses were now part of the government and so he did what any of us would do what do you mean we Hold on. This is I built this from, you know, the bottom up and uh, on uh, the sweat uh, of you know uh, um, and tears to get the business to where it needed to get to, and yet they put him in jail. Um, uh, and uh, needless to say, my mom marries um, uh, my dad when while my grandfather was in prison um, uh, as a political prisoner, and um, uh, all of a sudden they get the proverbial call and said, hey, you know what? Um, you guys have a choice. You either leave the country or your father rocks in, um, in prison. So there was no real choice, you know? So my mother with, um, um, with I was seven months old, by the way. And um, uh, she didn't even know she was pregnant with my brother. <laughs> um, uh, it was early on in the pregnancy but she was pregnant with my brother. Um, uh, and, uh, I always jokingly say that my brother was, um, made in Cuba, but born in the USA because he came over and he was born in New Jersey. So, <laughs> so, um, uh, anyway, long, long story short, um, uh, they get to the airport in Cuba and, then uh, after they had all the proper visas and all that, and they tell my father, how old are you? My father says I'm 21 years old. And, uh, somebody said he's military age. He can't leave. So my mother lands in New York City, um, uh, not knowing the language, Um, and something for the viewers to understand is back then, you couldn't even um, produce uh, 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 your diploma because the diploma was in Cuba of high school. So whenever any employer would come up to you and say, hey, can you at least say that you have a high school degree? She would say yes, but there was no way to produce it because there was no communications um, with the Cuban government um, or any relationships from a U.S. perspective. So long story short, um, here's a woman that lost her marriage because my father had to stay in Cuba and I did not meet my father until then. I was 15 years old. Um, grandfather was put in prison for no reason. She leaves the country that, and loses everything, house, um, anything. You know, She tells me that there was one um, gentleman at the airport that took the watch off of her wrist as she boarded the plane and said that all of that belongs in Cuba, not in the United States. Um, uh, lands in the United States, doesn't even know English, um, uh, and tries to hustle, back to your word, um, to make ends meet, two jobs, and um, puts two kids through college. And, um, uh, and I still am eternally grateful because that hustle, that grit, um, was instilled in me from a very early age. I usually use this story not in the context of hustle and grit. I usually use this story when I'm talking with my sales team because it's a true story. It's a story of my life. When somebody comes to the the team and complains, I don't have enough pipeline. I don't have enough deals. The competition is tough. Um, uh, you know, and and usually I say, look, you know, I come from a world where my mother tougher than the situation that she confronted. Um, and having to, you know, learn English on the fly, take jobs that, that you know, she couldn't um, do. To me, that, that foundation was set early on that there's absolutely nothing in life that you can't accomplish if you put your mind to it. And by the way, this was a woman that put two kids through college, private school too, University of Miami is not cheap, <laughs> um, uh, with master's degrees and graduate degrees, and she did it on her own without a man having to be by her side. So when they talk to me about hustle and grit, it's foundational, it's within the spirit of the individual, and it's up to each and every one of us to learn because I'm, you know, unfortunately, I can't tell you that this was only my mom's story. There are so many people that I know, especially in the the Cuban diaspora, Um, uh, that have actually um, uh, dealt with the same type situation or something similar. And I know it's happened to many immigrants um, around the world. So sorry for the um, long-winded response and getting on the soapbox, but you asked a question that to me um, really stirs the soul of the human spirit and who I am and what hustle and grit mean to me. And hopefully that story resonates with your viewers Courtney.
1: Yeah it's it's a, a great story and a great example of, of hustle and you know really just hustling out of necessity. She, she didn't have a choice really um, unfortunately due to the circumstances and you know a lot of us haven't been faced with that that level of hardship and so I'm curious when you look at growing and hiring your team, you know, how do you recognize hustle um, in, in potential, you know, team members or how do you help bring that out of folks um, on your team?
2: Great question. I I think it's two ways um, because I, I always tell everybody, you know, especially I interview mostly um, uh, for sales and leadership roles in the organization. And and I've always said, if you can't sell yourself, um, uh, you have a problem. But that also presents a problem for the hiring company because most people are very good at selling themselves. So, um, uh, uh, you know, whenever somebody says, oh, you kind of pick up on that during the recruiting process, it's not always the case. You know, I think any leader um, uh, will will attest to the fact that, you know, hey, um, we've had bad hires and good hires in our career, you know, and you try to replicate um, uh, good hires. Um, uh, you know, I I think for that hustle, you know, I go back. Courtney and I were talking about that. Um, a part of my um, what made me, I think, successful as a kid growing up um, uh, was that my mom put me in a lot of team sports. You know, I was in soccer, I was in baseball, I was in football. Um, uh, and you know, when you play team sports, you learn a few things. You learn um, the importance of having a team member's back not wanting to let others down, you know, and you kind of, in your professional roles, look for those traits that you remember as a child, what made you successful as a team. You know, um, uh, most of the times, you know, the, the team that was unified or the team that had that good chemistry always won over the team that had the superstar. Because, um, and so what I do with my teams today is I try, I actually have a call today, today with, with our team and I call it, we're a family call. And the reason I call it, we're a family call is because it truly is about finding that, that unity um, and teamwork and that spirit um, uh, that, that togetherness um, that that really makes us great, you know, and that's what I look for. Um, So, when you're, when you're hiring individuals, obviously when you're promoting from within, it's a lot easier because you get to know the individuals and you get to see that spirit um, uh, in each individual. But when you're hiring from the outside, I actually, you know, Courtney and I were talking about this. I actually looked for if in the resume um, or in the interview process, they participated in team sports. I think there is a nice correlation. doesn't always work, but a nice correlation between Individuals that participate in team sports, individuals that participate in the military, um, a place like this where you are part of a team, and that comes into the at least our professional world in software. Software sales is all about a team sport. Not one individual closes a deal. It's everybody together is able to close a deal. Same thing as when you're you know, a customer evaluating software today. You know, especially when like HR software. HR software. If you're going to evaluate it, you got to evaluate comp. That's usually a compensation team. You got to evaluate um, uh, core HR. Okay, so that's the HRBP is involved in that. You got a learning the learning team, diversity, inclusion, all that. So look at how many people we sell to. So we have to have equally as a diverse team with all those skills, and it's a team mentality that wins at the end. So hopefully that that helps us to what I look mm-hmm. for from a internal promotion and when I'm hiring from the outside. But I do think that that concept of having some type of team sport in your background um, does correlate nicely into the professional world today, or at least in corporate America.
1: Yeah. I find it really interesting that you um, compared, you know, software sales to a team sport. I think a lot of folks would, you know, on the outside looking in, you know, kind of see the, industry AE, and and they're the ones, you know, getting the money and driving the deal, and and I was um, on a strategy call with an AE a couple weeks ago, and he has a tough patch, net New Dormant, and, you know, he shared one of his biggest challenges is he'll pull together his, you know, VAT team, the line of business, the supply chain, and HR, and all the the people that support, you know, his accounts, and he said, my biggest struggle is I'm not their boss. I can't hold them accountable, and and they're not prioritizing, you know, the things that I want them to prioritize. And so I, I think it's interesting because if, if that team thought of themselves maybe more as a team, you know, that challenge wouldn't wouldn't be there. They are all looking to, to make, you know, a win and to get a software transaction and, and help the customer be successful. So I thought that was a really interesting analogy.
2: I mean, uh, Lauren, I'll even go a step further. As you know, um, you guys, I'm a diehard University of Miami hurricane fan um, um, because that's my alma mater. And um, the other day um, I saw the quarterback and I think the quarterback is a good analogy to the account executive. A lot of times the quarterback gets accolades um, because all the quarterback is so great and all that. And, and believe me, De'Ara King has done fantastic this year um, for the university of Miami as a quarterback. But what I loved about De'Ara King as a quarterback was he scores a touchdown and at the University of Miami, they have the tradition of giving the rings for um, an individual when they score the touchdown. And the rings, he actually handed to to his offensive lineman, And that to me is where a leader in our software, in the analogy back to the, the software sales, is give the rings to your offensive lineman, The pre-sales, the um, professional services, everybody that helped you get that deal, and you will see that you don't have to be their boss in order to be viewed as a great leader, um, similar to the quarterback. So give the rings to the the offensive line. It would be my response back to that type of scenario in the professional world.
0: Yeah, you know, Juan, we, we've talked a little bit about this uh, just side conversation and, and team sports and, and tying it back. And, you know, I think it's interesting because I, I come from a, a, an athletic background myself and you learn a lot, you learn a lot about yourself. When you're pushed to the limits, you learn a lot about your core values when you're pushed to the limits and, you know, coming from being an athlete to then coaching or guiding kids to be the best, you know, they can be for their team has has taught me a lot. And it, it has definitely been something that I use both personally and professionally as a mother and as a leader. And I think what it really boils down to in the scenario you just gave about the quarterback, there's a great deal of beauty in propelling somebody else or recognizing somebody else when they contribute to your success and, and you are making sacrifices. I mean, how many times with you, when you were playing football, you know, uh, as a young kid, were you hurt, but you took your position on the field and you did your damnedest play by play to do what you needed to do for your team and, and you set everything else aside. And I think when you look at people and, and going back to like the hiring aspect, people who have that experience, just they understand uh, one, how to lift somebody else up two how to sacrifice and, and most importantly, how to, how to just be a part of something bigger, a team. And I, I love that you kind of look for that when you are, building a team, and it's not that people who were not, you know, gifted in, uh, in athletics as a young kid doesn't recognize those values. It's just truly that it is beat into you. If I look at, you know, my daughters as an example or me, it's like it, you didn't have a choice, right? You, you had to be there for your team, and, and I taught myself and I taught my daughters, you can do anything. Your body can almost do anything for two and a half minutes, Right you know, play by play, uh, inch by inch, if you want to go to a good old football movie, you know, it's all about the inches. And and I think that that does, it it does transition into various aspects of your life, uh, you know, both on the personal and the professional side. But I I do want to go back. I had to, I even had to go off camera. I'll tell everybody we're sitting here on Zoom because we are uh, living in a different world in 2020. And I even had to go off camera as one was talking about his his mom and how she has impacted his life and it is the true definition of of hustle. I think we all have people and leaders that inspire us um, people that propel us or make us stronger and certainly your mother has done that for you and I would love to meet her by the way she sounds like a remarkable woman um, but how do you take what you've learned from her? What is your mentor style? How do you mentor people to to take, you know, their careers to the next level by leveraging all of the experience and what you learned from your mom, you know, growing up and and how do you build people from just such an authentic way? And I ask you that because I know that you do. So I, I would just love for you to share with us, teach us and guide us on, you know, some best practices when when growing someone based on your experience?
2: So I'll come back to um, what I learned from my mom, but I, I also learned from uh, mentors of my own. I mean, um, I, I, I have to say that my first mentor um, was Dave Duffield, um, founder of PeopleSoft and now um, Workday. And um, I remember um, one of the key statements um, that he would always say to us when we came into a tough situation um, was never underestimate likability. And that to me has always resonated through my career. And it's something that I always share um, uh, with anybody, whether I'm mentoring them or just giving them advice, friendly advice. Never, and and, and by the way, it applies to everything in life, whether you're at a restaurant and um, you have a server, and never underestimate likability. Um, you might get that extra dessert, you know, and things of that nature. So um, I remember at PeopleSoft, um, we were um, uh, up against Oracle um, a lot of, in a lot of cases. And we were selling Oracle, fi- um, we were competing against Oracle Financials and PeopleSoft Financials had just come onto the market. And, um, uh, you know, it was always, how do you compete against Oracle? Oracle indeed had the better product. You know, so and I remember sitting with my customers and explaining to them why Peoplesoft, um, on the financial side, um, we always thought that Peoplesoft had a great HR product and a better product than Oracle on uh, on the HR side, but on the financial side, Oracle was the best at the time. And um, uh, and I'm sure my friends at Oracle today would argue <laughs> the same thing, even though now I have friends on both sides at Oracle and SAP. <laughs> so I'm not going to get into that uh, battle royal. But the point being was that I had, I remember asking one of my customers and saying, well, you know, this is PeopleSoft. This is what we have to offer. We worked very hard, the hustle and grit, um, flying to the customer um, every day at, at all hours working. Um, and, he, you know, what it, what it came up down to was, A conversation, and I remember with the CFO of the company and the CFO said to us something very simple, Oracle has a better product, but we're going to select you because we like you better. And that has always resonated with me on anything that you do. If you want to climb the corporate ladder, if you want a partner, if you just want to go to a restaurant, uh, you know, don't underestimate likability. Likability is key you know, and uh, so that's something that I tell. Go ahead. You were going to say something, Courtney.
0: Juan, I swear to God, for everybody listening, including my team, I did not pay Juan to say that. Uh, We did not rehearse that line of questioning. Uh, it, It was truly his answer, and it is something I preach every day. All too often, you know, look, Juan, you know this as well as I do. There there are tools for our customers to select for every little thing they want to do. Tools are commoditized, but people are still valuable. And when we build meaningful and trusted and genuine relationships with our customers and our partners and our vendors, that is the thing that can propel your career the absolute most. And I just, I think, in today's selling climate and where we are as a, you know an industry and all of the competition around us, we become so incredibly tactical that we forget what human connection brings to the table and what likability and genuineness and being authentic can really do when you're delivering for your customer and. I have never bought anything from somebody I do not like. And I try to tell that to my team every single day, lower your guard, build real meaningful relationships. And uh, yes, I thank you. And I, I mean, if you want to invoice me for saying that, cause it totally proves my, you know, high horse that I've been sitting on uh, the past couple of weeks. I, I can't, I can't agree with you anymore. That is, it is the single most important factor when doing business.
1: Well, and you said something really important, Courtney, is is genuine. I think in this industry in particular, it's easy to say, I'm a salesperson. I, people need to like me and, and kind of do things with the wrong intention. But if you build genuine relationships, um, those are sustainable because they're, they're based on something truthful. And, and I joke with, Page on our team she loves small talk you know happy hours working the room that is her element and she genuinely loves people and loves connecting on on something personal it's to be honest a little more challenging for me Um, I like people I like more smaller you know intimate relationships um, that take more time Um, but you know the genuineness of it, I think, is the important part of, of that relationship building and that, that likability factor as well.
2: Right. I agree. I agree. And then to answer just Courtney's um, question around my mother and what that how mm-hmm. that to mentoring, you know, one of the things that, that I tell my teams um, along the same lines of don't underestimate likability, um, uh, I always try to have folks um, uh, look at the wor- a glass half full. You know, optimism goes a long way. Um, people like to be around people um, uh, that are genuinely optimistic, and uh, and if you notice, I mean, in anything in life, um, negativity draws negativity, and um, positivity draws positivity. Um, I, you know, like most couples out there, I've been with my wife now for a very uh, long time, so twenty plus years, and. Um, uh, You know, we had problems just like anybody. And in one of those scenarios where we had our problems, um, as a couple, I remember that she went and started talking with her friends and most of the friends that were coming to her rescue were divorced, not happy in their relationship. Uh, So negativity was attracting negativity. Um, And I use that example not really to what was me about my own personal, but I learned from that. I learned how in the professional environment, right, how optimism will attract or positivity will attract positivity. My mom, you know, I tell everybody, my mom, I never knew growing up that I had a problem, that there was struggles. I went to Disney World just like any other kid went to Disney World. I didn't realize everything that my mom hid from me, but why she hid it even though she had probably all the financial problems that we run into, um, all of the relationship problems and all of those things that we all run into now as adults, she had, yet she instilled in us to always look at the glass half full. And I tell that again, along the same theme of don't underestimate likability, also Don't underestimate optimism. People do not want to be around people that are negative. And I think it resonates even more in this 2020 pandemic year, um, because it is way too easy to look back and complain about something. I think what's really um, uh, smart of individuals that are being successful during a pandemic year is that they let their optimism, that positivity, um, uh, euphoric attitude come to light and come because we all need a little of that in our lives so hopefully that answers <laughs> Courtney's question mm-hmm. how I correlated it back to my mom
1: yeah and yeah, it's I a cheesy it. it's a cheesy quote or saying or whatever that I've thought you know kind of during this time like when when we're challenged and we can't do the status quo because of things outside of our control like this is when you know those optimistic people really go into problem solving mode and things that don't exist today are being built and created right now that will you know be the ubers of today the door of today because we, we don't have an option and and while times are tough it it's going to serve our society in the long run and, and make us stronger. So I think that kind of feeds into that as well. Agreed. Yeah.
0: I will say I, uh, right when the, when, you know, March rolled around and the world shut down um, I looked at a sin and I, I, I had to take a step back and say, you know, what is the value that we bring and, and, and how can we continue to bring that in a really impactful way? And I ended up putting this quote on LinkedIn at the time because I was sitting there just reflecting and, and change and necessity will always force the hand of innovation. And together with the right attitude, we will all become stronger because of it. Okay. And and I believe that. I truly believe that. And, and Juan, when we put together this next, you know, season that we're now on of uh, this podcast, and we looked at who we wanted to be a part of it. I think that positivity and that hustle uh, played a huge, if not the factor, in why we wanted you to be here today. Um, you have this unique ability to bring such a, a deep level of knowledge and acumen to the table, but you do it with the most humble and genuine approach. I've seen in this industry in a very, very long time. And, and by getting to know you just through today and, and the past, you know, couple of months to a year, I have seen how you have taken all these lessons you've learned throughout the course of your life, whether it be team sports or your mom, and, you know, the examples you've set, the mentors you've had to be the leader that we get the pleasure to work with every day. And you are certainly unique. And You certainly do have hustle, uh, but you have it in a way that is 100% likable 100% of the time. And I can't say that for everybody we work with. So as we wrap up, I know we might have, you know, one last fun question, but I just wanted to genuinely um, end this podcast with telling you how I feel about you as somebody that I love working with and somebody who impacts, you know, how how Ascend Source kind of visions our future. You're, you're a great mentor, you're a great leader. And um, if you guys do not know Juan Abello, I am not going to uh, post his phone number right now, but yeah. certainly think that uh, reaching out for a great mentor, he is, he is one in a million. So I just personally wanted to say thank you Juan and, and thanks for opening up and letting this audience get to know you a little bit more you are exceptional.
2: Thank you Courtney. I really appreciate it. So and you uh, have I am blushing so so, <laughs> so.
1: so, as we wrap up, I know earlier you know you, you said your mother is is your superhero we're, we're asking everyone on on season 2 if you could assign yourself one superpower um, and superpower that you have. So what is kind of your superpower gift um, that Juan has?
2: Wow, that's a loaded question, uh, Lauren. <laughs> look, um, as I look back to um, uh, my childhood and look at the, the comics um, uh, that we all grew up with, I, I really see that as a child, you had your favorite superhero with their specific superpower but if you notice all the superpowers that these heroes possessed um, uh, were they're really fantastic and I think every kid wanted a superpower that um, uh, you know that that was a little bit of everything you know you wanted Um, to be as fast as Flash or as strong as um, uh, Superman. Um, You know, it it just, it didn't matter. But what you also learn from the comics is that every Superman out there and every superpower out there has a kryptonite. And I think we could all relate that with our own kryptonite in our own lives. Um, uh, And we have to battle with those kryptonites. So back to the theme of this podcast, the superpower that I remember from the comic books is that an unsung hero of superpowers, no pun intended, the unsung hero of superpowers. If you notice in every comic strip, the superhero wins, but how do they win? They win because of teamwork. And that is the unsung hero of the superpowers. Because when Superman had the kryptonite chain around his neck, he couldn't do much. It was actually an average, everyday person that was not affected by kryptonite that had to pull it off the neck in order for Superman to rise once again. If you notice in every one of them, teamwork makes the difference. You know, and if you look at the Marvel comics, even Captain America, any of them, they needed teamwork and teamwork was the one. So I would probably answer that one of the things that I think is the unsung hero of the superpowers is all of us coming together like the superheroes did. That lesson that is so subtle in the comic strips, but it's probably the most important thing. It's not to scale buildings like Spiderman or jump, you know, on fly like Superman um, or run like flash. It really is that all of them together made a difference. And so back to me and what's my superpower. I, I think it's being able to build teams and put these teams together in such a way that we have an impact on whoever's life we touch. And I think that, to me, is a superpower in itself.
0: I mean, what do you what do you say to that? Um, other than like mic drop, or <laughs> I need to reflect more and, and grow because I mean that's maybe the best answer we've ever yeah. heard to any question in the history of the podcast. Want um, again. there is no response to that. I mean, it is, it's exactly, it represents exactly who you are. I I will say, I think Lauren and I feel a little shallow as I would give Lauren as her superpower, like the unpacker, like that would be, she can unpack your feels at any time and make you understand why you uh, are, are struggling with what you, she's the unpacker. Um, your, your answer was, um, was one in a million and and that's exactly why we wanted you here today so you know on behalf of the audience and the team here at a Source thank you so much and uh we we appreciate you
2: well, likewise the feelings are mutual so thank you for having me as your as your guest all right
0: thank you yeah. thank everybody you. take care all right bye-bye